This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Hey, would you open your Bibles to the book of uh, John chapter 12? While you're doing that, my name is Darren. I am one of the pastors here, and I'm like Mr. Rogers. I'm bringing my own stuff. If you've ever gone with me to a developing nation before, like I know Mike has, and uh, one of the things that I'm going to tell you, especially with Haiti, probably one of the first things I'm going to give you advice on is submit to the chaos. And, And what I mean by that is, When you get into a nation like Haiti or Uganda or Asian countries, you know, they're going to do things somewhat differently than we do. And you get to this place where you're like, wow, there are no stoplights anywhere here. And you'll find yourself saying things like, I mean, you know, Jerry, have you guys been to Haiti, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I know Tracy has. I would pay money to have seen Tracy in Haiti. Just watching Tracy walk across the grass in Middle Tennessee is worth the price of admission. Brooklyn, but fancy, and a zhuzh, zhuzh, zhuzh. Yeah, so it unzhuzhes her shoes, and so she, you know, I would have given a lot of money for that. But what I say by submit to the chaos is things are going to happen that you're going to like, I don't understand why this is happening this way. Like when we go to Uganda, right, Kelly, you get in there, And they say, hey, we're leaving at 8 a.m. prompt. And by 9.30, you're thinking, why don't they just, right, stay on time? Why don't they just, uh, you know, in in Haiti, it's like, why do they, they used to take the egg, I swear, I remember this, this, Kathleen and Brett were some of the very first in Haiti. They used to take the eggs, they'd, you know, stir them up, scramble them, pour them directly into the oil, like a fry, like a little fry daddy, and then uh, take them out like with a, uh, a sieve or something. And I mean, they, it was literally like a Jamaican bobsled going right through your system. It went right in and right out. And there was this moment of like, why don't they just cook those in a pan like the rest of us do? Every question of why don't they just do this or why don't they stop doing that is bucking against the chaos. And it's exhausting. Because they're not going to change. It's the way, that's the, the, their world, right? So the sooner you submit to the chaos of what I don't understand, the faster you're going to enjoy this trip. And so in John chapter 12, there's this giant amount of chaos unfolding inside of Jerusalem. Thousands and thousands of people, actually, I'm sorry, millions of people are descending on Jerusalem they're everywhere. There's chaos happening. And just like in Haiti, this is a few years ago, this is Mo and uh, Amy, our bookkeeper, and that is Darren during my visor era. I have, a, I have a large head. And the thing about that is, it's why I'm so smart, at least that's what I've told my wife. Um, 
But it's also a giant pain in the rear end, literally, because you can, no, no hats work. So I have to, you know, it's like a fight against the hat and the hat's always losing. And so the visor was a good idea because I could, I could still get the, uh, the sun protection, but my head had some room to breathe. And until I realized one day I was in Haiti and uh, somebody that was with me, a really nice lady, I don't know, two or three days in, I took my visor off and she gasped at me because it was the first time she realized this was my real hair. She thought I had one of those hair hats, those visor hats. She legitimately for three days thought I was a visor hat guy. The visors that you get like on the magazines on the airplane. And I got to look, if I were buying hair, I would buy something better than that. If you had the choice of buying hair, I'm not buying that. But anyway, that was my visor. The reason I'm saying this, taking Mo and Amy was really one of my favorite moments because they live um, carefully. They live um, with guardrails. They, they, it's, why, it's why Amy's a bookkeeper. You don't want some freewheeling, hip-shooting. You, you want someone who has parameters in their lives. That's Mo. Mo has parameters in his life. And Mo was surrounded by chaos at every moment going, wow, this is crazy, this is nuts. And then, and then Mo discovered something. He discovered the ranch dressing in Haiti. Now, here's... The problem, there is no ranch dressing in Haiti. Now, in fairness, I probably should have given him a heads up because what he got instead was this coleslaw that is uh, fire. I think it's made out of actual lava. And it will literally wrestle your coal into the ground like a WWE pile driver to your insides. And if I would have warned him ahead of time, again, a friend as a friend, I should have to him, but as a friend to you, I didn't, and so now we have this photo to enjoy. (laughs) I just want to drink it in a little bit longer. I'd forgotten. His lips literally had swollen up The amount of money that women in L.A. pay to do that to their lips. (laughs) Now, I don't know. I was told that burns going in and going out, but I'm not 100% sure. I didn't ask him or confirm that. I just know that uh, there's a lot of chaos in Haiti. (laughs) And submitting to it just means you're in for the ride. And sometimes your lips are swollen. Sometimes you're dehydrated but just submit to it and stop complaining about it and just see where Jesus is taking you. And John 12 is a front row seat to what seemed like a lot of chaos in Jerusalem. This city of Jerusalem, modern days, in fact, some of you are going with me. I actually have have a few more spots on the Jerusalem-Israel trip in 2024. If you want to email me, I'll be glad to let you know about that, but you see a modern Jerusalem that's much larger than what Jerusalem was back then, but somehow millions of people were crammed into this city. Now, remember last week, Mary had laid her hair, her her alabaster box, the, the spikenard at the feet of Jesus, right? That was six days out. This is the next day. We are five days, T minus five days to Jesus' crucifixion. So with that in mind, 
He's coming into Jerusalem from Bethany, two miles away. It's like being at Thompson Station, like at Thompson Station Church. He's riding over to Franklin Church. He's not that far away, coming into town. And the next day, verse 12, the great crowd that had come for the festival, this is the Feast of Passover, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Verse 17, now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. And so the Pharisees said to one another, see, this, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we approach your word this morning with humility, with expectation. Pray that your supernatural, your, your spirit will speak to us today. Your word is a light and it's a lamp. This is an ancient text, but we are an ancient people. The principles that were true 2,000 years ago are true today. And so we pray that your word will speak to us. Father, would you be with our friends across the street at Graceland driving in today? I saw that tent with all those tables outside, and I know that you're doing amazing things there through Nathan and Jessica Collar. It's just so encouraging to see life in that church. Bless them, Lord. Be with them today. Encourage them. Let them know that we love them and that we're cheering them on just like you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There were basically two different groups, two different types of people in this crowd that Jesus has encountered. There were those who wanted to crown him, and there were those who wanted to kill him. And that's kind of it. And in a modern perspective, that's not that different from the world we're in today. Those who want to crown him and those who want to kill him. Now, those who wanted to crown him, says the next day the crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And so they took palm branches, went out to meet him, singing, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were referencing a psalm Psalm 118. Now, in Psalm 118, that psalm was the one where uh, the cornerstone that the builder rejected, right? Or the, uh, yeah, the, uh, the stone that the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. Somewhere in my brain, that went, took another lap, if you know what I'm saying. So, <laughs> the older I get, I don't know about y'all, but my hard drive is getting full. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Have you, have you ever had an old Mac and that little wheel starts to spin? It just takes a minute to get the thing, and that, sometimes that's what's happening. So if you see me do that, just know that, just look for a little pinwheel on my forehead. So the, the stone that the builder rejected, 
has become the cornerstone. Why do I bring that up? That was a specific prophecy, a very specific. In fact, our guide in Israel says that one of the signs that we're going to know that Jesus is returning is that when all of Israel says to Mashiach, to Messiah, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The entire nation will say that right before Jesus returns. They think he is Messiah, and so they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Problem, that was not the fulfillment of what was happening in John 12. That's a prophecy that is going to happen. He refers to it in Matthew. He refers to it, I believe, in Mark 14. There is a moment where the stone that the builder rejected, right? That whole thing is happening, but that's not this one. This was them saying, hey, Jesus, here's the crown, my crown. I'm putting it on your head so that my will can be done on earth as it is on earth, (laughs) I'm giving you my crown. They didn't understand that maybe what they were doing, but they were looking to Jesus and saying, hey, this crown, we want to put our crown on you, but what do you know about a king? They've already got a crown. Who crowns the king, right? Not me, not the subjects. The father crowns the king. Jesus was crowned not by you or me or the people in this road to Jerusalem. He was crowned by his father, which is why then Jesus refers to, or or John later, I'm sorry, refers to going back, going, hey, look, we messed that thing up. That wasn't the prophecy at all. The prophecy was from Zechariah 9. Behold, here comes your king riding on the foal of a donkey. The it was amazing that that was the prophecy. It was Zechariah 9, which was a prophecy not about Jesus coming with the sword on the white horse. This was the prophecy about Jesus coming on the, the colt to the cross. Both are scriptural, both are prophetic, and they're two different prophecies. So what John was saying, in hindsight, we had messed this whole thing up. We thought it was Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's coming in here to overthrow Rome. What we learned later was that he said, right, when I be high and lifted up, speaking of the way in which he was to die, we only knew that in hindsight. So Jesus was correcting them by simply saying, that's not the one I'm here for today. I'm coming, that one's happening. But today, this crown, my crown, I'm the one that gets to say, and this is my journey to the cross, which will eventually take me to the throne. But I got to stop here first. And we can take a huge lesson from this. Because my temptation is to say, hey, Jesus, I have some really great ideas. I appreciate your enthusiasm, but here's what I want to do. And, and we, I, maybe not you, this is probably just me, so just let me, I'm sure none of you would ever do anything like this. Take my agenda and confuse it by thinking that it's God's agenda. I want to move at my speed. I got all kinds, and, and most times it's, it's a, it was a noble thing. 
palm trees. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There was a noble thing they were doing on the surface, but at the core of it was a misunderstanding of what God's will was. He had very clearly at this point been saying, no, look, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to die. We're going to be resurrected. Like he's been, he's been laying the groundwork for this, but they didn't quite understand that yet. And for me, I have to lay my crown not on his head, but at his feet. Revelation says that someday the elders, all of us, right, will take our crowns and we will lay them at his feet. What did Mary do just a few verses earlier? She took her hair, her glory, 1 Corinthians tells us, and she laid it at his feet. It is a symbol of me taking my glory, my authority, my crown, and not trying to fit it on Jesus' head. It won't fit. He won't take it and lay it instead at his feet. I just had an opportunity to do that in our own church family in the last couple of years as our church family, and some of you don't know this because you're, you're newer here, but some of you have been around a little bit, but you remember when we were jam-packed. And I said, with a straight face, I might add, we are not going to go to three services. It was pretty funny. I was telling Jack Vale this yesterday, and he said, Darren, I laughed the whole way home when you said that. Well, thanks for not laughing in my face, I guess. But what I mean is there was a moment where we kind of, I mean, Shannon and I kind of had a plan, I thought. Actually, I'm blaming her. This is all me. My plan was I really liked the feel of where we were. I really liked knowing everybody. I love knowing the people in our church. I love having the freedom to go to places like Asia and if I get kidnapped or whatever, like the church is just fine because, we, I mean, it's just a small church. What are you going to do is get another pastor. I, I liked that freedom. I liked the idea that we could be kind of, a, and, and I'm realizing the more I'm saying it out loud now in hindsight, I'm like, oh, I'm talking like an old lady at a little Baptist church. I just want it my way. This is my church. I don't want it to grow. I don't want it to be. I'm like, oh, that's the exact opposite of what, but where I was at, and just in full, dis, I don't know, full disclosure was, I was on the one hand, did not want to grieve the spirit by trying to grow a mega church so that I could get my, I mean, look, I don't look that great on Instagram to begin with. So we're not, you know, we're already 50 yards back in a hundred yard dash if I'm going to be a celebrity, right? But I'm saying, I kind of like this thing. And so I'm over here where I'm, I don't want to grieve the spirit because I don't want to build some empire. I still don't. I'm way, way, I have way too much fear of the Lord for that. I have way too good of a look into my own heart for that. I don't want that. I don't want to grieve the spirit. So we're not sending out postcard mailers. You, you will never see a postcard mailing from Conduit Church. God bless churches that do that. But what do you do when you get a postcard in the mail from a I, I, I want to set a trash can by my mailbox just to save me the trip. You know, not just the church. I'm just, all the, all the stuff. Literally, my mailbox right now is just a, a trash can where someone is basically saying, hey, could you throw this away? Because <laughs> I don't have time. <laughs> I, I, we, we're not trying to grow, right? Because I didn't want to grieve the Spirit. On the other hand, where I found myself was quenching the Spirit. 
Because the quenching of the Spirit was me saying, I don't want this. I don't want to have the, I, you know, everything I was saying about was all I, 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 I. And that was me taking my crown from the feet of Jesus and putting it back on my head and saying, scoot over, Holy Spirit, I got this one. And I had to repent of that. And all of us in our lives have moments where I've got my will, my agenda, and even in a noble idea, I can, it is masked in virtue, I'm still putting my crown in the idea of crowning him as I don't need to crown him. He's already crowned. So I have basically two choices. I obey him or I rebel against him. That's kind of it. There wasn't just those that wanted to crown him. There were those who wanted to kill him. They, the Pharisees, did not like how he was ruining their vibe. He was ruining their business model. He was taken away from their very operation, like their paychecks depended on their belief being right. And so you see here that there were Greeks coming. They wanted to, to meet Jesus. Jesus is talking about being glorified and God being glorified. The Pharisees are like, this is a pro- we've got to stop this guy from speaking because what he's saying here, the reason they needed to kill him was that if he's right, they're out of business. The passage that talks about the widow's might, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, and maybe you've heard a lovely offering sermon that used it as a, you need to give all you have. Look at this little widow. It's not about how much it is, but the percentage that you give. Have you ever heard that before? Okay, wrong. Jesus was looking at a money box inside a temple, the same place where he had turned over tables. And he looked at this little widow who gave everything she had to a bunch of crooks. And he's saying, that's not cool. She gave everything she had to this religious system. Jesus turning over the tables was turning over their business model, throwing them out into uh, an upside down world. It wasn't just a religion thing. He was taking away their, their power and their money. And they wanted to kill him. In our modern context, most probably, I would say maybe most in this room, our greatest probably danger as we search our own hearts is where am I trying to put my crown on his head? That's probably most people in this room. Where have I picked up my crown, put it back on and said, I got my plan and my agenda as opposed to like Again, Mary, she laid her hair at the feet of Jesus. First Corinthians, your hair is your glory. She put her glory at the feet of Jesus. And that's probably where most of us are. But in our society and in Middle Tennessee and in Franklin, Tennessee, there are those who maybe don't want to or have an ability to literal kill him because how do you kill a guy who resurrected from the dead, right? But there are those right now that are killing Jesus as to killing who Jesus is. And I want to give you an example. And if you are, can I just ask this just in case, because I just want to get a heads up on how much trouble I'm about to get in. How many of you have kids in Belmont University right now? Okay, okay. Hang on. 
our, uh, our good friend, Fouad Masri. I think Fouad is coming to the 5 p.m. because he heard about the Fufi coffee. Even Lebanese people like Fufi coffee. Have, have you been here when Fouad has spoken? Okay. Isn't he awesome? Amazing. Lebanese, in the last 35 years, Fouad has created a ministry where hundreds of thousands of Muslims have turned their back on religion, on the cultic faith of the, like these, and I, look, you can get mad at me, but I've been in the Middle East. I have seen what happens in Islamic settings. Someone gives their life to Jesus in a village in Uganda, and there he disowned. One of my good friends, Hakim, Kelly knows him. Hakim, that's an Arabic name. It's a Muslim name. Hakim is a Christian. He came to faith when he was 16 years old, and his parents, his family, disowned him and have never spoken to him again because it's a cult. Now, Fouad doesn't say things like what I just said. I could see if you're mad at me, but Fouad's way more classy than I am. Fouad's way more careful and uh, clear with this language. He spoke at Belmont University just last week. Crescent event, uh, Crescent Project. They did an event, invited students to the to talk about how to reach Muslims and how to love Muslim neighbors. And what happens was the Muslim Student Association at Belmont University protested against this phobic event. Now, those of you that know Fouad, how many of you would ever describe him using a word phobic? If you don't know him, you don't, you, you, just trust me. This is one of the most gregarious, loving men, and he loves Jesus. He loves, he's sold his life out for the gospel. Belmont University was a Southern Baptist. If you're from West Coast, you may not even know this, or was, was it was associated with a Southern Baptist, but now it's become called a, the, the latest president, uh, Greg Jones, so we want to call it a, a Christ-centered university. Now, this, to go to this Christ-centered university is going to set you back, what, about 60 grand is what we decided? We have a Belmont professor in here, so I'm going to uh, be very careful not to say names because we're on the YouTube. Um, it's about 60 grand a year. And in this event, the president of Belmont decided to issue a formal apology for this hateful, divisive, phobic event to create a new thing so that we now can be more inclusive in our, in our, on our campus. That is not Christ-centered. That is the president of Belmont University killing Jesus and creating a new one in his image. And in case you're wondering who he was apologizing to, this is the president of the Muslim Association here in Nashville. Her name is Sabina Mohuyit. I gotta say this right, Mohidian. She's a lovely, lovely woman. But that tweet that she is sharing, does anybody remember a few years ago when Charlie Hebdo, a journalist in Paris, did a, a cartoon and he, suddenly people are being killed, right? And this is, she is quoting Pope Francis, so I'm gonna make the Catholics and the Muslims mad at this point. Says, if you swear at my mother, expect a punch. He writes a cartoon, which is the equivalent of swearing at the mothers. So you should expect that 17 people are going to be murdered in a club 
because he swore at your mother, because he made a cartoon about Muhammad. That's who the president of Belmont University is apologizing to, someone that says that it's okay that 17 people got killed if you say something mean about them. That is killing Jesus and creating a new one. When he says that this place is Christ-centered, I don't know what he's talking about because that's not the Christ of the Scriptures. And if you're paying $60,000 a year thinking that you're getting a Christ-centered education at a place like this, just go in there with open eyes. I'm not saying pull your kids out of it. I'm not saying, well, I am saying $60,000 a year for a degree in the music business. That's already like bad math, but that's a whole other conversation. Like, wait a minute, you're going to pay $300,000 to make $30,000 a year? There's no math where that makes any sense at all. But What I'm getting at is that we are in a world still where there are those around us who are killing Jesus because he doesn't fit their model. Now, I don't know exactly what would drive them to do that. There's uh, many Christian universities right now that are taking stances like this because they don't want to lose federal funding from student loans. That's why so many, that's why we need really godly Christian counselors right now because the American Psychological Association is putting all these restrictions on universities, trying to raise up a generation of Christian counselors who are not coming from a, from a biblical place at all. It's, we, we're literally creating an army of, of, of little counselors that are going to tell your little eight-year-old girl, maybe you are a boy. That's the only way they can get their federal dollars from it. So just like the Pharisees, they wanted to kill Jesus so that they could protect their business model. It's, and that's a 2,000-year-old trick. We've got to be wise. We've got to have both of our eyes open and know that in our own lives, we can't crown Jesus with my will and my thing, and we've got to be on the lookout for those around us that want to kill Jesus and create their thing. Now, all that to say, there's, I said, when there's a king, you have basically two choices, right? You're either going to obey him or you're going to rebel against him. I said that there were two groups there that day, those who wanted to crown him and those who wanted to kill him. There was one other there that day that actually understood what it meant to obey Jesus. Any guesses as to who it was? It was the donkey, The only one there was a donkey. Not just a donkey. I confirmed this with Pat Dunn this week. Because it doesn't just say a donkey. In fact, Matthew and Luke both make it clear that it wasn't just a donkey. It was a donkey no one had ever ridden before. Now, I don't know if you've ever been on a horse that's never been ridden before. But it's a scene, I'll tell you that. We had a a donkey at... uh, at our farm for a while. I, I miss him every day. His name is Earl. My son, when we very first got him, wanted to get on the donkey, and I was like, well, this will be funny. Because <laughs> I'm father of the year. He was like, what, seven? <laughs> I mean, it's not that far to fall. And, you know, kids are malleable. You know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> they bend really well. Anyway, Earl drove him right into the trees. I mean, just drove him into the trees, knocked him off. It was, it was awesome. It was glorious. And that's a donkey that actually had been broken. Like, he, he could ride Earl. But this was not one of those. And here is a donkey that didn't know anything about what was happening, that had never been ridden before. In fact, I think it's Matthew that tells us that not only had it never been ridden, it was still young enough that it was with his mom. So we had to have the mom with it 
Because you separate a baby from its mama, and then you get crazy trained. Ma, that's how young it was. And Jesus gets on this donkey. In town, word is spread. He's coming. In town, we're going to crown him or we're going to kill him. But one of them was ar- like arming up for war. The other one was arming up for war against each other. And Jesus knows that. He knows there's palm branches. And he doesn't go get the white horse. He goes and gets a donkey and drives it right into the middle of their will, saying, neither one of you are, are right. I'm coming on a white horse someday, but not this day. See, at the beginning, I talked about bucking against the chaos and how exhausting it is. I mean, it literally, I was in Nepal like a month ago, and I'm doing this 20 years, and I'm still going, it is 9.30. What in the heck are they, do they know how, any idea how important I think I am? We're supposed to leave at 8 a.m., and I'm still riding for, I mean, I'm literally, I didn't say it out loud. I said it in my head, which God can hear, so it's still embarrassing. And you know, all that was, was me bucking against the chaos. And I might suggest to us this morning that our best course of action is to trust that Jesus, when he climbs onto your back, has your best intentions in mind. And to just relax. That little donkey had no idea what's going on. That little donkey in any other situation would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on back here? What are you doing? You know, ah, I'm freaking out. And, and I, look, I don't know if you know this or not, but donkeys, they kill mountain lions. Donkeys kill coyotes. That's why we had a donkey. Google, well, maybe. You can find images of donkeys killing mountain lions, okay? More people are killed. This is a true story. More people are killed by donkeys every year than die in plane crashes. So there's your free fact for the day. You can either partner, allow Jesus to be your Lord, to be your horseman, so to speak, or you can buck him off, or you can buck. He loves you either way. But I might suggest today that instead of you trying to crown him or try to kill him, that we just not submit to the chaos, but submit to the Christos. It's the Aramaic word or the Greek word for Christ is Christos. That's where we get our word Christ from, Christos. What you might perceive as chaos might just be the Christos. And it might not look like it makes any sense to you but if your writer is good and we know he's good because he says, I'm going to be high and lifted up, he's going to be tied up to a tree, so to speak, pinned to it. And what did he do to that donkey? He set that donkey free. That donkey was tied. He set it free. Free not to just go wherever he wanted to, but free to go wherever Jesus was leading him to. Stand to your feet. I'm going to get you out of here. But that's my invitation for us today is to submit to the Christos Search your hearts for where I'm putting my crown on his head. Get it back at his feet. Pray for those at Belmont and other places. And they're not the only one. I can name a hundred other universities right now, it seems like, that are all on a different path. Pray for that. Pray for wisdom for your own so that you're not sending your children into universities that are trying to kill Jesus. Heavenly Father, give us wisdom. Give us courage. Lord, I pray for Greg Jones in Belmont University. Would you open his eyes? He's, I'm sure he's a great guy, 
I'm sure he loves the Lord and loves his wife. He's probably very sincere. He's just sincerely wrong. Open his eyes. Open the eyes of those in our community to stand and to speak and to be courageous and for us to throw our crowns at his feet, not at his head. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.